In episode 60 of Design EDU Today, Steph Lochran, art director at Outstand, joins us to discuss the differences between working remotely on an in-house team versus working at a large digital agency. Along the way, Steph talks about the different approaches to responsive web design, including her love for element collages. The conversation also covers creating animations and micro-interactions and the industry's strong preference for sketch over other layout programs. Hello. And welcome to Design EDU Today, the bi-weekly podcast series discussing the necessary competencies to be a successful designer in a contemporary, screen-based interactive world. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Today's guest is Steph Lochran. Steph is a design lead in Baltimore, Maryland, where she remotely works for Outstand. Before joining Outstand, Steph worked for the Baltimore-area firm MindGrub. After graduating from SCAD's Savannah College of Art and Design in 2010, Steph spent almost eight years working on mostly large-scale, CMS-driven websites with redesigns for universities and nonprofits. Steph's favorite part of a project is the conceptual work at the very beginning where she would study up on the university and sketch out a string of ideas that not only look great, but will solve problems. Outside of work, Steph likes to hike with her two dogs, be a beer snob, and complete 100-plus hour-long Japanese role-playing games because she does every single side quest available. Welcome, Steph. Uh, so... Thank you for taking the time to, to meet with me today. I really appreciate it. So before I get into the first question, um, I just give the, the listeners a little bit of a background. So you've recently made a big career switch going from working at a digital agency with multiple clients to working remotely for a company specializing in email. This single thought um, could fill an entire episode twice over in my mind. So let me start off with the state with a statement. I've been thinking uh, a lot lately about the careers I'm training my students for. Uh, the way I instruct my students is geared towards preparing students for entry-level positions at digital agencies. So my first question is, how different is working at a digital agency versus working remotely um, in-house for Outstand? Sure. And uh, hi, I, great to be here. Um, so I'd say there's there's a huge difference. Um, working at a digital agency is, I'd say, a lot more fast paced than uh, where I am currently. Um, there's definitely, you know, you're collaborating with a lot of different people. Uh, you've got designers, developers, project managers, you know, uh, UX designers, you've got a lot of people that you're working with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and, you know, the projects will vary and it kind of keeps you on your toes a little bit. 
So you might have um, a video project. I mean, depending on the type of role you have in the company, you might have a video project or you might have um, a website or, or um, a logo the next week. It really sort of depends on the project. So you're always sort of building skills in different areas. Um, in-house is a little bit more contained. And I think that, you know, that's definitely not a bad thing and I really enjoy it. Um, but you have a little bit more freedom to... Uh, build out or 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 pay you know work on certain aspects of the project if you want to. Um, so if there's if I'm working on a workflow, um, then I can you know I can decide I want to test something like oh I don't know if this this color blue is gonna work well with our audience like maybe we'll test it or. I don't know if I want to work on this screen right now. Like, let's put it to table it for a few and work on something else. So you're really working for yourself. Um, so there's a lot of freedom there, and you can sort of—I don't want to say do what you want, but you can like think of how you want to build that project out for yourself and how you want it to succeed. Um, the difficulty with that, though, is that you have—you have to be careful. You're not working in a vacuum, so you need to make sure that you're staying up to date with all the current trends. You're making sure that you're aware that. Um, we might, you know, oh, this this looks good to me, but I need to get it out in front of people to see what they think. Or maybe, you know, I need to check with a team member first before I move forward with this. So there's a lot of, like, self-management, at least for for me, um, you know, in terms of, like, making sure that I'm meeting my goals um, rather than just meeting deadlines, like when I was at a, a digital agency. So I think it's, it's very rewarding, but re- it requires a little bit more management um, on my end just to make sure that I'm delivering something that, um, you know, it, it is, makes sense, but, you know, is, is fulfilling my needs, but also filling the users. So I think, like, there's just two main things where it's, you know, very fast-paced in digital agency. It's a little bit slower in, in-house, but I think, you know, it, the, the freedom is definitely something that I really enjoy about it. So... Uh, two questions that I follow up. The first one, um, so what do you design at Outstand? Sure. So right now I work on mostly, I'm a UX, UI designer, um, art director, but uh, right now I'm working on the actual um, email CRM. So a lot of the UI elements uh, when you are sending emails, um, I don't design the actual emails themselves. I'm mostly working on the what you see in that dashboard sort of environment. So we're pushing out a product soon that's just going to be kind of skinning what's currently there. But then um, we're also going to be launching a brand new product next year to go along with that. So I work mostly on product design. Like I said, I went from a lot of client work, you know, digital agency, to now doing mostly product design, which is a huge switch for me, but I'm really enjoying it. All right. So the reason I ask that is, at least me in design education, when I'm training students, I'm teaching them to create stuff from scratch. But it seems to me like if you're... Whether it's a startup or whether you're working for an in-house firm, you're not starting from scratch. It's you're redesigning, and I guess it's the same skill set. But at the same time, I'm wondering if, you know, if it is different enough that maybe we should be doing, you know, something to like, you know, address like, okay, you're going to be doing a lot of redesign. Mm -hmm. This is how you would approach it. Do you have anything that you do differently for redesign versus? Yeah, that's a really great question. I. I think I definitely that that was for me, like when I was at Savannah College of Art and Design, we were doing a lot of stuff from scratch as well. And there I'd say 
90, like 8% of what I've done from my digital agency past and even now is just redesigning what's there. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd love to see more more students have things in their portfolio where they just redesign something different. Um, there's a lot of stuff I see like on Behance and Dribble, things like that, where people will just say like, here's an alternate version of this site or whatever. Um, and so like, I, I really, I, it's, I would like to go back to doing some stuff from scratch because I don't see it very often. Um, but I think most of the stuff that if you get a if you're in a design firm, unless you go maybe towards like a like branding that sort of thing, um, if you go towards web, you're going to be doing a lot of redesigns because like a yeah. lot of stuff's already there. <laughs> so, yeah. but um, yeah, I think like branding is really great. I I think like the thing I like about starting from scratch. Um, especially being taught in schools, is that those are where you're going to get a lot of your fundamentals and a lot of your like basics. You're going to learn a lot about type and color theory and things like that from just starting from scratch. I feel, whereas like if you're redesigning, you throw in like client objectives there too, and sometimes like it can kind of like stifle that creativity in a way. And you know, it's it's good to like have those skills of like starting from scratch. Um, just because when you're working within, like, with a client project, um, I feel like you can take those skills that you've learned from starting from scratch and apply it to, like, a, a redesign. Um, but, yeah, like that said, I would like to see probably more redesigns yeah. in portfolios just to see how they would take a different direction. Because um, sometimes when I'm starting a project, uh, when I was working agency and sometimes even freelance, which I do right now, but um, if I'll, I'll take one like a read it, I'll take a, a site and then I'll just take it in a completely opposite direction, you know, for a mm -hmm. few different iterations and just see how that looks. Um, just because it's good to see like the complete opposite of the spectrum or like, what if we like, you've got like this big header image um, currently on your, your existing website. Well, what if we took that down and we did something, you know, featuring more like typography at the top or you have like a photo there. What if we put a video, stuff like that. So maybe just like thinking a little bit more outside about like, pushing it a little bit more with, with redesigns, um, that would be something I'd, I think I would like to see. Yeah, I think I can do that on just on a very easy level. It's just like at the start of the semester, I'm just going to assign, you're going to redesign, pick one thing, you're going to redesign, and you do it on your own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and one thing and like... come back later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and one thing, um, at my previous job uh, before MindGrub, um, there, there was a firm I worked for where we would as an intern test, we would um, ask interns to put together a few elements of like a, like in a collage, like here's this website. Um, like I think we used like adultswim.com or something. Mm -hmm. Like we were like, here's this website. Why don't like take, take these, take the site and how would you redesign it? And you don't have to do like a full page comp or anything like that. Like how would you take a few of these components? Like here's like a news block, here's um, events, here's like a quote, like how would you style those um, if you were to do a redesign? So it's interesting because it also kind of gets them thinking in terms of like component libraries. Ugh, I don't know how to explain this because it, <laughs> it, it, it's something that I'm working through. So I have my students design element collages. And so they're, you know, um, the whole idea of like atomic design, design elements. And so this is the, you know, like the first time that they're really kind of exposed to web design. They can't do it. They need the context of the page to design the element. And I'm like, you can do that, but you're just creating extra work. What you really need to do is focus on this button. You need to like somehow get your imagination. That abstraction is really hard for 
people who haven't done it before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I, I'm, I'm struggling finding ways to, you know, like make them like realize that no, you don't have to put the entire page to design the button. Right, just right. Design the button. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like a lot of times, and I still struggle with that sometimes, you know, like visual, like a lot of times if I do an Elma collage and then it goes to a page and I create a page comp afterwards because mm -hmm. the developers still want to see page comps. Yes. Like, so we'll, I'll still provide comps to developers, even though I myself might be designing at like a component level. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something that is still a challenge for me. But what I like to do is I'll either, if, I, if I'm working with a UX person, I'll have them do a wireframe first. Yeah. Or if not, I'll do a wireframe. And then I sit it side by side with my element collage. And I'm like, okay, well, I need to have this box. I need to have this and this and this. And then um, from there, it kind of helps me visualize how the page is going to be. And then depending on the speed that you're, you're working at, I think it's okay to start building out a comp while you're working on an element collage mm -hmm. if that helps you, if that helps kind of train your brain away from yeah. that thinking. Um, I mean, a lot of sites are so like, you know, in, in chunks and everything, but so it, it gets, it gets you thinking about that if you're just maybe seeing them side by side in element collage and a page comp at the same time. Um, I hope that makes kind of sense, but yeah, no, it yeah. does. <laughs> I, so this semester yeah. I introduced, I, I, had them wireframe earlier. Or I had them. I had them wireframe so they could use the wireframe as a map of okay, this you know this is where the button is going to go to help try to remove that abstract that you know this is not just something random. That's it has a place as a purpose, but you're just not putting it all together yet. Um, and it helped, but I think I needed to. I mean, this is the first time I've coincided the two, so I just think I need to do a little bit better job of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, element collages are great. I think they're a good way to like. One of the things I like, we at my my first firm, New City, we started presenting element collages yep. instead of page comps to clients. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons was because we don't want to pour thirty hours into two or three different homepage designs just to have the client throw that away. It was quicker to get an element collage up and going, or you know, put together. And then if they don't pick it, you can just kind of reuse those components and skin them for for other projects. I mean, mm -hmm. that sounds terrible, but like it's a it's a really efficient yeah. way. And and a lot of times those collages get picked too. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's a lot of things are will repeat, especially in web design. And it's good for developers too because if they see that something has been skinned, then it's really quick for them to put that together. They get the site up, to, you know, front front end gets done faster. Clients happy. It's really not a bad idea. Um, so I think like presenting element collages first before you know they mm -hmm. see a comp is always something that I would stress. Um, that said, I think it's helpful to just maybe build a comp like at the side. You know, if it if it helps you think you know in that term you know in terms of like components, um, just to kind of get something put together. Um, you know, one problem. Okay, so I've I've been doing that in this semester. I actually had and we had a, a you know a client. And I had the students present style tiles, get feedback, move to element collages, get feedback. And now we're putting together our final comps. But the um, the problem – dang it, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> it's okay. Um, the, the problem with the – oh, <clears throat> my problem with the element collages, and, it, and it's not a problem, is finding examples. And so, And I'll give you what I mean by that is – Element collages, at least the way I take it, are a brain dump 
of just working on stuff and working through different things and working through as much as you can. Mm -hmm. But all the examples of online of element collages are these like perfectly polished, the, you know, the ones that they're presenting to their client. Yeah. Are they, is that different? You don't, I mean, do you, um, do you, you know what I'm getting at? So are you talking about like the element collages? If you look online, they're just very like polished. They're not as like rough and messy. Yes. Um, I think that there's always, you always want to like, Element collages are really hard for clients to grasp. Yes. Like, they are really difficult. So I think, and there are some cases where I've even worked on projects where we take the element collage and we're like, okay, the client's not getting it. Let's build out a page comp and then show them that. So I think they're really hard for clients to grasp. So I almost, I think that they should look a little bit more polished. That might be mm -hmm. why you're seeing a lot of them. Yeah. But, like, they, they always you need to kind of like polish them up a little bit, maybe like organize them a certain way so that they, and they kind of need to flow so that like the components balance out on the page. Um, Cause if like, I usually like to have one or two elements that are a little bit more like dominant or a little mm -hmm. bit more heavy, heavier on the page. Um, just so that like when you're presenting it to them, like, they still feel like like the the thing that I don't that I miss about presenting page comps is that there was like a ooh like a grand reveal mm -hmm. and you don't really get that with element collages like you always hear like a, what am I looking at so I think like it's good to uh, I mean people are still excited to see it but I think like it needs to be a little bit more polished um, the for putting it together um, are you saying that like it's it's they're a little bit messy looking, like in production. Well, or? no, that's just it. The, the students only see examples of like beautifully done ones. Oh, right. And they right. don't see the messy ones. Yeah. And so they're like, again, they're trying to make, like, they're trying to line everything up in columns. Mm -hmm. They're trying to like organize this stuff. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's just, oh, doodle. yeah. It's a yeah. Yeah. No, I think that oh, that's, that's really. Yeah, like you can't use a grid like in an element collage. Like you can't. <laughs> it's like, it's very much like just brain dump of like here's yeah. all the different things that we can use um and even when i present them like they're they're polished looking as in like when i show them the components are arranged in a way that makes it like easy on the eyes but if you look at like there's no i don't use a grid for those like and it, it, there might be like two fonts it's, it's not it doesn't like i i leave enough abstraction there where i can um maybe go back to it later in the page comp area like if, if I'll do maybe like two fonts and then show like here's like two different header styles something like that I, I kind of leave it a little bit up to imagination there so that like when I'm actually working the page comps I can kind of flush out some of that stuff more if they like certain things but they really should be like rough and messy just so that like they can get they can give the client an idea of like the look and feel and the style and they can start getting the client to think in, a, in terms of components rather than like a full comp but yeah absolutely like I think that there, no grid like don't use a grid don't worry about like arranging things so that they're pixel perfect in an element collage like I think that it's really hard for us to like think of it that way but um when we're so used to everything being so pixel perfect especially when you like toss in like the fact that like the developers need something that's mm -hmm. perfect but this is the part where you really get to have fun um and you get to play so like just Go for it. Make it crazy. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I just need to start reaching out to some professionals who do use element collages and say, hey, can we have your pre-cleaned up ones? Yeah, yeah. Your original. Because I need to – that's what I need – that's what the students need to see. Oh, you know, yeah. To see these beautiful, you know, arranged oh, yeah. ones that you could tell that there's some kind of linear storytelling that they've set up for a client meeting. Yeah. Uh, not the – 
oh, I want to do this. Plop. I should send you some of the ones that I've done like oh, previously. Do. <laughs> so, because yeah, they're 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 kind of messy, and I'll have like because I I do them all in Sketch, and so I've got mm-hmm. like components outside of the artboard, like crazy symbols aren't like linked or anything like that. Like the file is a mess, but it gets the style across. So, mm-hmm. this is another question, and I've been thinking about it lately. I've been letting students use Adobe XD because it's they already have to pay for Creative Cloud. Mm-hmm. I sh- I think I'm going forward. I think I'm going to force them to use Sketch, or Studio, or Envision Studio, mm-hmm. and just be done with it. Like no XD is off limits. I mean, how do you? Because the industry industry is just using Sketch, yeah. and I've played around enough with the pre-release of Studio that it mimics the the thinking. Of the, it mimics Sketch. I mean, they yeah. they use Sketch as their muse <laughs> to yeah. to create their own. So there is I I don't see a I don't see a big learning curve between the you know if you go from Sketch to Studio, um, if Studio does you know ends up getting a strong foothold. But how do you feel about that? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think the industry is pretty much over Adobe. I still use it for Illustrator. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe editing a photo in Photoshop and like I use it for After Effects too but yeah like for the most part it like Adobe isn't really used in web um, besides like creating vectors and things like that I use Sketch and Envision are the industry standard um, Envision Studio I played around with it too and I'm not like right now I'm at the point where when I was using it I was like why do I have to learn something again like you know I've, I've got it basically just does everything that Sketch does already. Yeah. So I'm waiting for it to offer something else to me that makes it worth using a different program. Um, and Sketch is still used everywhere. Like our developers use Sketch. Um, my the, my chief creative officer uses Sketch. Like people, and it's it's not easy to understand. Pick up. So everyone's using Sketch right now. Um, for the most part, everyone's pushing those designs to envision creating prototypes and then principles being used to um, uh, sort of mimic animations. And see, so that's why I'm interested in studio mm-hmm. because studio, supposedly they already have that. Yeah, it has some animation capabilities in it. But it's nowhere um, near the level no. of principle or Marvel or anything like that because no. they've been around for a while. Yeah. Okay, so that's what I've, that, and so that's the reason why I want to work with um, studio. That's why I want studio to, pick up because of the animation features because yeah. otherwise you like you said I've been having my students do mock-ups of animations in After Effects mm-hmm. and that's it's not that big of a learning curve but it's a it's enough of a learning curve that if you've only got one class to teach web design and now you have to teach prototyping software you have to teach animation <laughs> software you have to teach this yeah uh, you know who cares about if you know like learning the actual design process right. for interactive design. There's a yeah, it's a lot. Principle I only use really for mocking up animations. Mm-hmm. Um, After Effects is still good if I need to help out a developer with building that animation. There's a tool, there's a plugin called Lottie, um, which was developed by uh, an Airbnb uh, developer. And so what it does is that an animation, a vector animation that you've created in After Effects, it's a plugin that will push it, um, will, will convert it to a JSON file, essentially. Mm. So I've worked on apps before where we were able to keep them super, super lightweight because we were able to create an animation, like a loading animation or um, some 
you know, boxes floating into view, like simple stuff, mm -hmm. like simple, subtle, subtle things. Um, instead of exporting them as GIFs or whatever, we were able to export them as a JSON file um, using Lottie. So I still use After Effects a lot for that. Mm -hmm. uh, as to, I don't know if maybe Principle does that. I'm not sure. But so far, I've only done, I've only used Principle for mocking up animations. I think Framer is the one that does okay. a lot of the, that developers can pull a lot of usable code from. Gotcha. I, okay. I don't know about the other two because I've never used them, but I know I know for a fact Framer does have some kind okay. of easily exportable um, information. So you say your developers use Sketch. Um, what are they using to extract stuff from? Are they using Zeppelin or do they just... Yeah, I so when I worked at MindGrub, I had a much, there was a much larger team, mm -hmm. um, a lot of engineers, and they actually... The only people using Sketch were the designers and the UX designers. Uh, so what we would do, we would use like uh, our tool was Simply. I, okay. I've used Zeppelin before, but we use Simply, and so we would push all designs to Simply, uh, make sure they were sliced properly, things like that. Push them to Simply, annotate them if needed for things like accessibility, and then the developers. Um, would use those to grab assets and things like that. Uh, where I work right now, we have a much smaller team of engineers, and so they just use Sketch. Uh, it's so much cheaper than an Adobe license, so they're able to just get in there and, and grab assets if needed. Uh, but it really depends on the developer. I'd say, yeah. like, there's never, like, a set, and I'm sure you know this, like, there's never, like, a set, like, workflow for working with an engineer or developer. Like, mm -hmm. it just depends on the person. Yeah. Um, I've had developers that, like, you know, I've worked with ones with Simply, where they're fine with like just send me the Simply link and I'll extract the assets. And then I worked with developers that like by accident I'll send them like a flat JPEG, and then like I come back and I see that they've like already almost built out things. <laughs> so <laughs> it really depends on the developer and how they want to work with you. Um, but I'd say for the most part, like Simply or Zeppelin is a really great tool. The only thing that I don't like about Simply and Zeppelin, um, I like working with. I liked it in an agile process where I'm constantly checking up on progress. And like I said, it depends on the developer, but some of them I feel like they'll see um, a Simply or a Zeppelin link and they'll take it too literally. So that they'll <laughs> use it as like, they'll grab the assets from it and the colors and the fonts, but then because of like the padding and like the, mm -hmm. the different like um, uh, measurements and um, units and things like that that simply provides they might go like too literally on that and instead of it just kind of like hinders like when you're working with breakpoints how that's going to work so I really like it just as like a color tool or, or grabbing certain things yeah. but like they should be the ones to be arranging those elements on the page they should just be using it as like a guide um, it, it provides all those interesting measurements but like there are times where like I've received uh, a page and it like there was like a photo that wasn't bleeding edge to edge. Like in my comp, it showed that it was edged. Like the photo was like going to both both ends. But then like when they they showed it to me, it was only like a rectangle. Like and it had like white around like the sides. I was like, no, like I meant like edge to edge. So I think like it requires depends on the engineer. But I really liked working with simply when I was working on agile projects and I could constantly like checking in with them. I don't think it's a good replacement for just talking to a developer. Um, and so like an automated process like that, I think is really good if you're still, if you're communicating with them versus just like, here you go, I've just like pushed my comp here and like, I'm never going to see it again. Yeah. Okay. I, and I didn't know that some developers would actually go that far. I just assumed like that they were using it to be able to pull some basic visual design styles like color palettes and yeah. <laughs> and fonts and because again I mean even if you go that route 
because in Sketch, you're working in pixels for font size. Well, you're not going to have a font size. It's going to be in M's because it needs to be scalable and it needs to have all that stuff. So I didn't even, so I figured that the developers were like taking very minimal from it. Yeah, it depends. Like I've had, I think like you're, a lot of good developers will be checking in with you and asking yeah. these questions as, as they're working on it. But if you like don't hear anything, like that's when I should like, I would say like check in and be like, hey, do you have everything you need or can I see progress on this? Um, so that's like, you know, waterfall process, but like agile, you'll be seeing that stuff like all the time, you know, yeah. and, and routine check-ins. So I think like it just depends on who you're working with. No, that's a it's a that's a good thing that I should remind the students about is that idea that you know they if they're doing if they're working in the waterfall whether it's at an agency whether it's freelance um, they're the project manager mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> in a sense <laughs> that they have to see that they're you know what they gave to the what they envisioned is what is actually coming out of the developers um, hands um, so. You graduated in 2010 with a BFA in advertising. So I think you, and you just mentioned the, this word. And so I, it, this is a perfect time to ask this question and you're the perfect person to ask. So with the introduction of the iPhone in 2007 and the technology for responsive design in 2010, the industry has drastically changed since you graduated. So with the benefit of hindsight, um, what skills do you routinely use that just weren't thought of a few short years ago that design educators should be including in the classroom? Um, well, it sounds like you're including a lot of things right now. I'd, I'd say just like when I graduated in 2010, my, por my portfolio was just full of static page comps. Mm -hmm. And we were designing static comps. And now it's not like that. Like you've got so many different breakpoints. And that's why the component level is so important because you can kind of treat elements as like constantly changing on the page rather than just like super static, you know, desktop, tablet, mobile. Um, so I think like that's just like the main thing. Like when I graduated, like responsive design was just coming out, like mm -hmm. you had mentioned. So it was like turned me like I was completely caught off guard when I was seeing developers that were like asking me for things like I thought I could just give them a PSD mm -hmm. and um, they would be set with that. But there were so many things that they'd be asking me. So I think like the things have changed Things have changed a lot. So I think just like graduating, I or things that I wish that I had known ahead of time would just be like how the industry is just going to change. Like you might be learning like one thing. I, I know that sounds very like broad, but you might be learning something. But like you just need to keep up on, you know, what's going on in in your environment, in, in the tech world. Um, I was very fortunate to work in an agency where uh, we were constantly being, you know, we were on top of things, you know, we, we responsive design was, we, we were doing like large scale university redesigns um, you know, with responsive design when I graduated and I um, had that job. But I think like depending on the environment you, you're in, like I've, I've, been, I've encountered designers that still don't use SVGs. So I think like you just need to make sure that you're constantly aware of the changes that are that could potentially come to your industry. I don't know. Maybe when students are out, maybe two years, there's going to be like something with VR. You know, we don't know. Yeah. So <laughs> no, there is. There's no question. Yeah, about yeah. It. It's 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 just ever. It's constantly changing, and I think just like keeping on your toes is the most important thing to do. Um, and I wish that you know, like I had more of like awareness of that getting out of college because it definitely took me by surprise when um, you know I had an internship and. 
that was just mostly working off of PSDs. And then immediately after I left and I worked at New City, it was a lot of communication with developers and having to change our process each and every time. Um, so that was something that like definitely I think I you know I wish I was a little bit more mentally prepared for. <laughs> yeah, and I I think the the part that I'm really focused on trying to kind of develop a process for is the responsive design is so this is the approach I have them do. I have them um, I've kind of you know put like a simple frid I mean a <laughs> sorry I put a simple grid framework together. Not even I don't even want to call it a framework. It's just simply a 12 column grid in HTML and CSS. Um, I have them do wireframes. And then once they figure out where the content goes, they say, okay, put a picture in there, put your, set up your columns, put in the picture, put in some text, resize the window, look for it to break. Mm -hmm. So then, and I say, okay, make a note or make a new artboard where you see that that element, whatever breaks and you need to make a new one. So in the end, their their comps, their static comps are of the two extremes, you know, a small screen and the large screen. And then there's a smattering of artboards in between there yeah. of, well, this element breaks at this size, so this is why we're going to redesign it at this size. And so that's how I'm having them do it now. Mm -hmm. Does that sound... No, that sounds really that sounds really close to what I've worked on. I will so you do mobile comps? Uh yes. Okay. I personally I'm not a fan of mobile comps just because a few things, I feel like they're just inefficient time-wise because if you get a client change on the desktop end, you have to change it mm -hmm. on mobile. And then I also, I, I, I'm worried about presenting them to clients just because if they see a pixel-perfect mobile comp, yeah. and then, you know, maybe, and you know, things happen. Like, whatever, if a developer looks, if, 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 a de if a designer and developer are looking at a mobile comp and a desktop comp and they're like, this looks fine, like this looks good, but then you actually get into the front end of it and maybe there's something that needs to be tweaked or whatever, then like you don't want the client to look at their mobile their site on a phone and be like, well, I thought that this is what it was supposed to look like on mobile. So, and, and it just kind of gives you a little bit more flexibility. I think like for most of the time, like I'll I'll deliver mobile comps occasionally, depending on if the developer really wants it. Um, but I almost never show it to the client, mm -hmm. just because I'm worried that they'll see like a pixel perfect mobile comp, and then not only will they want that updated with any changes, and that's like really tedious, <laughs> but also just you know that I don't want them to see that um, that something is pixel perfect, and then that's what it needs to look like when the site goes live. But um, mobile comps like most of the time I just do a sketch. Like I'll just like do a wireframe or a sketch. I, yeah. I, I will always mock up, I'll always do the navigation for mobile because mm -hmm. that is really important to see, especially if you have a lot, like in higher education, you might have your main navigation, you might have your utility navigation, you mm -hmm. might have your quick links, you might have like the student login portal, all this stuff. You need to see like, if you have a lot of navigation items, um, you need to see how that breaks down and how that looks on a mobile level. And so I'll, I'll mock the navigation up but a lot of the other stuff I'll just like I've done sketches and I just send that or I provide that to the developer and they're good with that mm -hmm. and I th actually think that they like it because then they're like oh thank god you don't need that this this has to be like 
display on a mobile or whatever. Not that we don't want it to look great, but um, I think like it's a lot of time on your end to put together something for mobile when there's the potential for it to change. Yeah, no, and that and and that makes sense. Uh, I kind of do it for two reasons, and the first reason you kind of disinvalidated. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but the, the, and I kind of I mean I invalidated myself because there are the the middle states those breakpoints. I've already told my students you don't need to redesign an entire page. You just need to redesign what's you know the the element. So it's the same thing for the the small screen. <laughs> it's the same thing. Not everything is going to be. I mean, if you have a column of text, why? Yeah. You know what it's going to look like. So if there's like something major um, that's going to change, that's what you need to identify and 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 mock up. But the other reason is, <clears throat> I, there is kind of um, I. I and I, I also think this of animations. I think like designers often leave animation up to the developers mm -hmm. or afterthought, or they just look for pre-canned existing stuff that's already out there. So there's not a lot of innovation in the animation realm that designers should be pushing. And so I kind of think the same thing if like if we just kind of approach mobile as just like it's just the skinnier version of the desktop, where's the innovation? Are we like really like pushing for the medium? So that's another reason why I I asked them to do that. But yeah. At the same time, I don't do – I should be doing a better job of saying I'm expecting innovation, not – No, that's fair. I think that's totally – that's a good point. I think it's probably good to – if anything, like doing the mobile comps and, and doing that like gets people thinking mobile, mm -hmm. like, you know, of mobile options rather than it just being an afterthought, like you said. So I think like it's good that – Rather that it gives you the opportunity to innovate, you know, maybe oh, on mobile, maybe we do this or we think more about animation. So I think that's a good point. Um, I definitely think that like there are a lot of cases where, like I said, I'm guilty of myself where I, like I said, I just do a sketch because it's the easiest thing. But you know, granted, like if there's time and things like that to do something interesting, like an animation that might appear differently on mobile versus on um, desktop, I think would be would be really great and like. I hate the term mobile first because yeah. it just like it often implies like mobile only. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it just needs to be like everything. Like you just need to be thinking about everything. And so I think like if you start with like the mobile level and thinking about how that's going to work, it kind of leads, it opens the floodgates for you to start thinking about like different uh, like other sizes and how things might operate there. So yeah. I, and I think I just re remembered a perfect example. And this is what a student of mine. She um, designed so in her in her static mockup for the website, um, she has she has three circles, um, really big bright colors, and it's number one, number two, number three, and I don't remember what the context for them are. But then on the mobile version, it's simply you know instead of reading one, two, three, it's now reading you know from left to right. It's now reading just you know the same exact circles but now just stacked on top of each other and, and it the light bulb came on I was like no you don't have to do that mm -hmm. and it's like rethink what that looks like right for mobile yeah and so she changed it and, and it looks and it's fantastic and it would and it would be if somebody just threw a simple like css transform on it i mean it would just be like this beautiful like switch if somebody was really going to go through the effort of like you know resizing the screens but um which wouldn't technically happen but anyway yeah. and so that's that's what I was kind of more thinking about is what I would like to see more of is like I feel like 
right now, the way my students are approaching it, and I do this because of me, is it's it's just a carbon copy, mm-hmm. but rearranged, right. not redesigned for mobile. Right, it's right. It's rearranged for mobile. Does that? Yeah, yeah that's what's I think happening. so. That's true. Yeah, I think like mobile is in a place where there's an opportunity for laziness where it's like yeah. everything's just going to stack, you know? <laughs> but mm-hmm. I think it would be interesting to see it treated more as like an opportunity to try something different. Yes. Um, and so those are the times where like if I see one of those opportunities, like I'll design that individually, like at the component mm-hmm. level and things like that. Um and kind of change that there. But yeah, I think that it would be really great to see more things. Like, it doesn't do this on desktop, but like it does something completely different on mobile. You know, if the time allows and things like that, I think it would be really great to see more um, interactions on that level just because like subtle animations just like add so much, mm-hmm. especially to mobile. Um, like the, the web is just so static or the, the web can, can, has the potential to be so static. So. I think, like, on the mobile level, if there's a little bit more play with some of those animations and things like that, like, I think that would be really great. Yeah. Okay. And so that's – and so, anyway, as an educator, that's where I'm, like, right. stuck right now is how do I instruct that? Because it's really, truly a case-by-case. Case. I mean, I I can't formulaically say, okay – you can't formulaically say, like, do small, medium, large. You can't – because – you may not need a medium. You may not need a small. You don't know. And and it's and until you've done it enough, you don't know. You yeah. don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So. I like when I push a prototype to Envision, mm-hmm. I like um, having like at, at MindGrub we had um, different devices we could test things on. Yeah. And so like if I have like a prototype or if I have like a front end site, I would bring it on mobile or tablet um, on these two devices and just kind of test it out and see how it feels. And there are things that you like see like in sketch, like when you're working on a comp that like you don't see if you're like actually like scrolling through it on like an actual device and you're like, oh, it'd be really cool if I did this. So like there's an Envision app that Mm -hmm. you can download. And um, if you haven't, I'm sure you have, but like it's... um, it's really good to just kind of like see it on a device and, and move through it and see like, okay, maybe there's an opportunity here to do this because like otherwise this is like really boring. Everything's just stacked and it's just like it's really long to scroll through everything, that sort of thing. No, I, I, that's my favorite thing to do because like I said, I've, I, I have my students use XD because it's already part, but XD has its own app. And I love walking by and say, did you look at that on the phone? <laughs> yeah. <No>. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you look at that on the phone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that font size is a little too small. Yeah. That comment, and um, especially like from my mentors and people I've worked with, like that comment and then the, did you, did you check for color contrast? Like those two are yeah. like the... <laughs> Like the the ones that I get, you know, um, I hear very often uh, among like in, in any like sort of design critique, um, those two for sure. Yep, uh, it's the scale. I mean, I I've, I've never really had them. I do tell them that I like. Okay, so we're designing under fluorescent light, and <laughs> they're doing something like we're we're doing the there's this website called Your Stop Info that my students are you know, proposing a redesign for it's it's a bus tracker and it but it tracks the buses in Baltimore. It's like, okay, looks great under fluorescent lighting. Have you taken it outside mm-hmm. to look to see if it's still readable? Right, yeah. And 
They have accessibility is huge right now. Like that is, I probably should have said that one. You know, Mm -hmm. getting out of SCAD has just there are lawsuits going out. I mean, it is just like you need to be on top of it in terms of making sure that text is legible, Um, because like that there are a lot of there there are times where. We've I've worked on projects that we had contracts uh, or we had we were working on projects because the university had been hit with like a lawsuit Mm -hmm. and they needed to, um, you know, rethink their whole site for accessibility. And so we were like, we we would would win work because of that. And um, it's just like it's. I think like more now than ever, like I think like accessibility is what a lot of people are talking about and making sure that like you're seeing that all text is legible um, on screen readers. It makes sense. Um, so everyone, UX design and development are all rethinking accessibility and putting a lot more attention there than they ever have before. Yeah. The way I kind of solidify that to my students is the fact that, okay, I, and I always use my uh, Capital One. Like So Capital One is an international company. Mm-hmm. They cannot be accessible to people with any kind of disability. They just physically cannot do it. One, you know, for basic business principles, they need, there's a lot of clients <laughs> that they're potentially throwing away. And also, it's the right thing to do. But I said, even if you want to throw away the right thing to do, from a business perspective, they have to be accessible by those people um, with disabilities. And the students seem to, they understand that, but at the same time, they don't. It's hard for them to kind of put into their like train of regular train of thought because it's so abstract because they're not. Yeah. Unless you are. Yeah. I think like you don't need to be thinking about it on like the scale of like Capital One or when I I worked on um, apps. I worked on a project for Exelon working on apps Mm -hmm. for BGE, Comet and Pico. And there were there was a lot more attention to accessibility there. Um, But I think at like the basic like fundamental level just making sure that like you you're checking that your text size or your color you know if you have like a, if you have a font that's on top of a color making sure that those two like a, a button or whatever making sure that's accessible just at like the basic level just checking the colors just to be sure um, because that's also something you're going to hear from clients because they just like to they want to ask like did you check for accessibility? And you want to be sure that you can give them a confident, yes, like we looked this up, you know, and, and it's accessible. You can read this text on this and it's AA compliant or whatever. Yeah. So. Okay. So just the, we could talk about accessibility for a lot. There's a lot of stuff yeah. out there for it. So another thing that I've been thinking about, and so um, in your bio, you wrote, there is a lot of, wait, yeah. There's a lot of work, and you wrote this in your bio, CMS-driven website redesigns. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of work out there for that. Um, so I've been wondering if should I be teaching that? Um, and how do I mean by teaching it? Like, So WordPress, Squarespace, Shopify, all these different Joomla, whatever. Um, should I be teaching maybe like having students like, you know, take a base template and redesign from that or learn the WordPress builder? I mean, like, what should, if anything, should I be maybe thinking about when it comes to that? I don't think that's super important. I think, like, when I, like, mentioning, like, the CMS thing, like, mm-hmm. um, I think that now, we, we, I mentioned mobile first before and how I hate that term. I think, like, there's no, 
it's not mobile first anymore. It's content first. Mm -hmm. So I think just like making sure that like the con like that's kind of it's mostly just like making sure that if you're working with a lot of content as like higher education tends to have like you need to be sure that okay this looks beautiful with like two lines of text but how does it look when you know they've got like 10 lines of text in it or something you know it's just um making i'd say like the the cms doesn't matter it's just having that in mind like okay like what can they change what can't they change um What's the character limit? Do we want a character limit? Yeah. Um, I don't think it's as, as important okay. with like Drupal, WordPress, that sort of thing, as it is just like knowing how things are going to change or, or being able to design a site so that it's not just for you, but it's meeting your client's needs and that you have elements in there that you're aware that that perfect headline at the very top of the at the banner or whatever or the header is going to potentially change or it might be changed to a slideshow, <laughs> something like that. Um, just kind of keeping content in mind is always something that I would I would suggest. No, and that and that makes perfect sense for me. And it's you are designing with or for you're designing for a CMS. So meaning, I you know, again tell the students design for the extremes. If you're going to have a list of names, don't just put in John Smith, Jane Smith. <laughs> you need to go. You need to. Do for the extremes. You need to do both the small, the short, small, like whatever, and the extremely long because they're both gonna break the design in unexpected ways. Yeah. So. No, I love that. Like, I, I'm ashamed to say it, but like a lot of my sites when I was in college, were, they just had lipsum or something like yeah. that, and. I now like I always make sure I've got live content in there, mm -hmm. whether it's from the existing site or whether it's you know stuff I've made up or pulled from other sources. There needs to be real content in there and not just lipsum because and it's a pain. Like you might think, oh, this is I like the way that this looks, and then you put in like mm -hmm. real content from the site, and you're like, oh, you know, it just makes you think about those things ahead of time that you might not necessarily think about if you're putting in placeholder text. Yeah, and so they, again, with this transit, you know, like the bus tracking app, they were doing that, but they all, they, they picked the shortest street names. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, what happens to this design when it goes to three lines? Mm -hmm. You've got it all fitting on one. We had a lot of problems mm -hmm. with that um, with Exelon because, mm -hmm. you know, with the BG&E app, you've got street names that might go really long and like truncation might not be I think we ended up doing truncation but there were there were some cases where like some numbers are really long mm -hmm. like it just it's crazy when you start working with real content how much it might make you think about and it also makes you think like is it okay that this is an edge case scenario mm -hmm. like maybe like the truncation doesn't work for this address but that's like we've looked at all these different accounts and, you know, maybe there's like a few of them. It might make you think a little bit about like where your priorities are, yeah. but I think like it's really good just to make sure that you've got real content in there so that like it doesn't, yeah, like the shortest addresses, things like that, like that, that's definitely going to cause issues. And when you send that to a developer, that's going to be like one of the first things that they tell you. It's like, hey, like this is what it looks like when we've got like an actual address in here rather than just like one, two, three Oak Street, you know? Yep. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I'm, yeah, I always harp on using real content just for that exact purpose because real content will break. Yeah. <laughs> your pretty little design. Mm -hmm. All right. So um, 
I'm just seeing where we're at on time, just so I'm going to finish up a couple more questions. So you are the organizer for Make a Mark Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Can you first uh, talk a little bit about Make a Mark for the listeners? Sure. So um, Make a Mark was started in 2014. Um maybe 2015 in Roanoke Blacksburg. Uh, It is a 12 hour um, design and development marathon for local nonprofits. So it was started with the idea that there nonprofits do so much work for our community, but they often don't have the resources or the talent or the skills or the knowledge to have a a great website or have, you know, have good branding, things like that, or marketing materials. Um, so it was started, you know, with a we, we in Roanoke Blacksburg we started Make Mark. Uh, Sarah uh, Obenair was the founder, and she um, brought together forty um, creatives, and you know we we put together work, and then it was there. It was in Roanoke Blacksburg for about three years, and then it's starting to expand. And so the Baltimore one was the first um, independent one uh, where Sarah was not involved in. She she came for the day, but it was planned by people in Baltimore, a lot of people from MindGrub. Um, and so we, on April 14th, we got together and in the spirit of it, we just sat for 12 hours, created work. It's basically just, um, we select between 13 to 15 nonprofits and they come to us and they say, hey, we need a website, we need um, a flyer, we need this. And we we put together project teams, um, kind of like almost like little mini projects, mm-hmm. and we assign them some uh, their project team, and their project team will create work for them for the day. Um, and then at the very end of the day, they get to leave with a brand new logo or um, leave behind things that they didn't have at the start, and that would definitely help them in their reach and impact in the community. So it's a really great. Um, I love it just not only because of the mission, the mission and the message it, it, that it has, but also just networking and meeting other young professionals in the area and other, you know, student professionals, uh, students and professionals is really great. And so the projects range from um, we did two videos for the Baltimore event. And then I think we had four web projects and then the rest were just we had 13 nonprofits Mm -hmm. and then the rest were um, print projects, uh, logos, things like that. So. okay, so the reason I'm asking about this is it's it's actually twofold. Um, the first one has to do with collaboration. So even if I have my students collaborate together in a classroom, they're collaborating with other designers. That's not what the industry is. They're collaborating with project managers. They're collaborating with developers, you know, UX. I mean, they're, they're doing, so immediately I'm, I, I got this idea from, um, Emily uh, previous episode where she said, you know, talked about hackathons and it's like, oh, you know, we, we should maybe that would be a way for students to get that um, experience. So there's that, if you can talk about that, and then there's the pace. You're doing it over 12 hours. Students do not work at the pace of they crank out something, a usable anything in 12 hours. So I know that that time frame is a little unrealistic. I mean, I know you're, it's a challenge, 
But can you talk a little bit about maybe the pace and then like this idea of like collaboration? Sure. So one of the things I and I forgot to mention this that I love about Make Mark as opposed to other hackathons is that um, with Make Mark we have the project team sit down with the nonprofit before the event. Okay. So we assign the project teams relatively early, and then we have that project team meet with the nonprofit for about an hour, just like a rep, and they go over high level goals, um, things like. We, we like this font or we don't like, you know, we, we have this so far. This is what we have existing. Um, this is our, like, current flyer, current website, or here's this content. We have them just, like, go over these things that you would have, like, in a typical client kickoff. And then that way, after that meeting, they're thinking about the project. Mm -hmm. um, they might be working a little bit if they want ahead of time. We certainly don't require that, but some people go, like, above and beyond. Um but they, they, they have it in their mind, at least, of this is what they need so that the day of the event, they come in and they just go. They just get started. Um, and another thing with Make a Mark is, like, I think just we do such a great job at making sure that we scale the project accordingly. And it also depends on what the team is capable of, too. So I think, like, we make it very clear to the nonprofits um, we ask them what they want ahead of time. And then if there's more time, then the, the project teams might do more work. Or if there's not enough time, they might do something like, here's a style guide to get you started. Um, it, this, the project kind of scales mm -hmm. depending on what the nonprofit needs. But at the end of the day, the nonprofits that we've selected are just so, so happy that we've given them you know, the opportunity to um, – to, to have creative materials or just the, they, they're just excited that they were able to get total strangers excited about their organization. Mm -hmm. So I think we really, even if the, even if they were to walk out with nothing at the end of the day, the nonprofits that we select are just so happy to be a part of this. Mm -hmm. um, but that said, we do have really, really high success with the projects that are completed. Um, I'd say the only ones that we typically might have a little bit more work to do at the very end are the web projects. But I think um, I will say next year for the 2019 Make Mark Baltimore, what we're going to do is we're not going to take on a web project unless it's going to be in Squarespace because those are super easy to put to put up for you know a designer or a developer. Um, so we're going to change that a little bit. But for the most part, like we have like everyone had something to show. Everyone had like a. a finished product, if not close to finished product at the end of the day that needed like really minimal tweaking, especially like the logo people all had something to, that were done. Um, branding, everyone like the, it's there's a lot of work that is produced at the very end of the day. And a lot of it, I think, just has to do with the fact that we take a lot of time to put together teams and make sure that we're balancing each other out. Um, collaboration wise, I think I myself like when I with this make mark and future make marks, I try to make sure that we never have just one person alone. We want to make sure we've got two to three people. And we try to like pair people together that might be a good fit with one another. So we have like a talented team where we'll sort of organize. Uh, we have like one of the project managers from MindGrub, she was on the event committee. And so it's kind of like resource management, you know, mm -hmm. like we'll kind of put together teams based on that. And so like everyone just kind of clicks. But I think the collaboration um, varies group to group, but I was really, really impressed this year with how well everyone seemed to collaborate with one another. It's like you come in there and it's this, it's this common goal of like we have 12 hours, we got to get this done. That probably forces people to collaborate yeah. <laughs> um, more than anything. No, you know that's true. I, I just noticed that just like on a, on a micro scale, like if I put if I put students together in a group and I give them all semester to work on something, it's a train wreck. But. <laughs> 
<laughs> if I put students together in a group and say, you need to do this by the end of class, they always they always do it. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how that works. <laughs> but yeah, it's <laughs> definitely, I think like the, I think like you need to, whether you're in an agency environment or even when I'm working remote for an in-house, like the collaboration is something that you need to make sure that you're communicating with your project managers and you're communicating with the designers and developers. Um, you know, it's just like, there's a lot of accountability. I believe like, there's a lot of people are looking to you as the expert, no matter like how many, how much experience you have in the field um, on how long it takes for something to get done or like, what do you think we should do as the next stage? St stuff like that. So I think like it's kind of natural collaboration it, it, that happens, you know, with different um, project team, team members. Uh, very rarely have I worked with someone that just like refused to to you know work with others um so and i think a lot of it has to do with just like if you give a common goal of like a project and a task like everyone kind of comes together so yeah i think i am it just popped into my head what i kind of would like to see is just like a kind of a a design-a-thon if you will for you know with students but like so here's the problem so if i say you know student i my students can only do visual mock-ups who needs that half without the other half. <laughs> I mean, for a logo, yes, but you know, for a website, you know, there's that. You need a functioning website. They don't need just a theoretical website. So I, it just immediately occurred to me, like, it would be nice if, like, you know, you know, puts pair student developers and student designers together, like where the first half, yeah. like, it's twelve hours of the visual design half where the developers sit in, and you know, they can kind of give feedback and, like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this in twelve hours. What you're, you know. And then also at this vice versa, then when and then the so each they both do it for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. But the first 12 is design focus where the developers sit in and talk and say, like, hey, okay, this works, this doesn't work. And then vice versa, where the, the development, you know, part kicks off. That's where the designers can like, you're not interpreting that right and, you know, kind of get that work. So that's kind of what I eventually want to do, but there's only so much I can do in my <laughs> Yeah. The website stuff is interesting, like when we, because we we did a few sites for Make a Mark this year, like I said, I think it was four um, in twelve hours, and it's always funny because like I I, I want to get better at that process. Every year we try to think. I think Squarespace making sure mm -hmm. that only sites only in Squarespace is a good route, but we you always have like the designer like head down like working really hard in the morning, and then they're like, okay, I have some things for you, and they give it to the developer, and it's like, all right, go, and then the developer has to like yeah, finish it's it waterfall. up. Yeah, <laughs> so I think some. Most of the web projects have been like that. I, I do see sometimes like people designing at like a component level mm -hmm. and handing it to a developer, which is I'd like to see more of that. Yeah. Um, so I think like we're always trying to improve how we create websites for the nonprofits at this or with this event. But I mean, we we've got really close with like, you know, the 12 hours and the four um the four projects that we had, I think one of them or two of them even are were completed at the end of the day. So, okay. um, but it, it definitely it, it is a little wonky because you have that like separation of like, the de designer working in the beginning and then they hand it off to developer and the developer has to like go. Yeah, so. no, they, need to, they both need to be in the room at the same time. Yeah, yeah. But just one is a leader at a different time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, usually the developer will be setting up the back end and things like that while the designer is putting together some stuff really quickly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, this is a new question, and I've been, I want to ask each guest going forward in 
What's one piece of advice you would give um, design educators to better prepare students for life post-graduation? Sure. Um, so one of the things that I would like, and I mentioned a little bit with accountability and talking about make a mark, um, I, and this is something I struggle with myself, is just providing better estimates on how long it's going to take to get something mm-hmm completed, Uh, especially if you go into an agile environment. And like I said, you have project managers and team members that are looking to you as an expert in your field. Doesn't matter if you're straight out of college or you have 10 years experience, they are looking to you, how long is this going to take for you to complete? And I think it's really important for students and to to, to kind of have an idea of how they're going to answer that question. Um, Because I think like especially for me when I was in college, I was so used to being assigned things and like this, you have until this date or whatever. Um, but a lot of times, like when you get out of the industry or when you get out into the industry, there are a lot of questions like, how long is it going to take to do this? Or um, especially, like I said, with agile and you have to use um, like the Fibonacci sequence. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. discussed that. No, I haven't discussed it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> when you have agile and you don't, you don't, with agile, you're not putting hours to a project. You're putting no, like numbers um, with both, with both, te- you know, things, hours versus the agile um, tasks. Like you need to be able to tell someone how long it's going to take for you to, to do a certain task. Um, and I, it sounds really like, I might that might sound like a really lame thing to to, <laughs> to kind of give advice on, but like it is so important, I think, to like have an idea and for the team to know that. And I think if you give an accurate estimation and it comes back as being accurate, and you know you haven't gone over budget or you didn't finish it, and you're like, well, I could have done more stuff, you know, like then I think it just just speaks volume to your confidence and your abilities and skills as a, as a designer. So I think. I've, I would really like to see more um, students enter the field that can answer questions accurately, like, you know, this is going to take me this many hours to do this, um, and just being better about estimating their time. Uh, because, like I said, that's just, I think that's just where we are right now in the industry is especially moving, whether a, t- a digital team is fully agile or they're just adopting agile methodologies, I think it's just really important to being able to um, give people an accurate estimation of how long something is going to take. Um, and then I do have one other thing is mm-hmm. probably just knowing how to sell your work yeah. is really important. And I'm sure you probably get that one a lot too, but um, <laughs> I've seen really, really great designers that are not good at selling their work and they don't get their designs picked and it like breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. Or I see, you know, above average or like, you know, oh, like, not that they're above average, but I've, I've seen designers, you know, that like didn't put their best work out there, but they sold it really, really, really well. And then they, you know, they get they get like applauded or they get their work chosen, things like that. And I just think that like and me, myself too included, like that was one thing that I had to learn to do really quickly was sell my work. And it just you need to like inspire that confidence with your internal team and the client team that what you have put in front of them is a good idea because the client has to see that and then go back to their boss and you know if they need to feel confident in you and your abilities um, and they're not going to get that they're not going to be able to go talk to their boss and show them this thing 
and be excited about it if you're not excited about it. So I think like just knowing to sell their work better is something that I would like to see more. So yeah, Dan Mall has a really good talk on that, and so I've been making my students watch that <laughs> video. Yeah, about, it's like okay, your final critique. Your critique is vastly different than presenting your work to the client for buy-in. Mm -hmm. They're two different things. Yeah. And you watch this video to learn how to do buy-in. And so, no, I – and those – yeah, those are the two things that are just, like, very common. Like, everybody says – they. Everybody says about selling your work, but everybody says what you said about the time in just, like, a slightly different way is uh, – but the time is, like – it takes them too long to do stuff or, you know, some variation of that. But it all boils down to they just don't know how long it really takes. Yeah. And so they don't know how to gauge. So there's a sense of, like, how long should it take and how long can I do it in yeah. that we need to start working on. Yeah, and Agile is difficult because, like, there – I hate to be, like, brutally honest, mm -hmm. but if you say it's going to take um, 10 hours, it has to – I mean, you got to get it done. Like, it doesn't matter if you pull an all-nighter, if you work overtime. Like, or if you if you say you're going to have it done by, like, a certain date or whatever, especially, like, with Agile. Like, if you have, like, a two-week sprint or something like that at the very end of your sprint, um, you need to get that done. Like, if you told them at the very beginning of your sprint that that was – you could you could finish this, um, it needs to get done. Because the way that Agile works and with the releases that are going out and things like that, like, you just need to be able to, um, to commit and – it sucks if you're, you know, <laughs> if like if you end up grossly underestimating it and it takes more time, but it just has to get done somehow. So I think like that's just like the biggest thing is um, if you're going to commit to a time, just whether you've underestimated it or overestimated it, you need to make sure that that gets done. Now, I, there was a talk and I can't remember who I heard it from. I want to say I feel like it was Terry Marks. He's a designer up in Seattle. But I, I, he kind of this is a gross paraphrasing of what he said. But he basically said, if I've never pulled an all nighter, if you're pulling an all nighter, you're doing it wrong because <laughs> you're just you're not you don't know how to manage your time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. I will say I've never pulled an all nighter um, until I like worked on an agile project, mm -hmm. and but though that was just like it was a little bit. It was kind of an aggressive timeline, and it happens in a learning curve. In a learn, yeah, exactly. So I think it's going to happen, and if it if yeah. it does, then you know don't beat yourself up over it because <laughs> no, sometimes but it happens. You learn from it. Yeah. it's a budgeting time. <laughs> mm -hmm. you, you say this is how much it's going to take, and if you, you and if they say no, you can only have half. Then just don't do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's where you kind of like learn to say no. Yeah. For sure. So, Steph, before I let you go, is there anything that you are working on personally that you would like to share, or is there something that you want to promote? Uh, I'd love to promote Make a Mark Baltimore again for 2019. So um, we, I will say, I was disappointed in the amount of student applicants that we got. We got, like, all young professionals, professionals, people that were had experience in their field currently, and I would have loved to see more students. Um, and so either students or people that are, you know, a little bit earlier right. in their career. Yeah, I would have loved to have, like, a better mix. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just want to promote Make a Mark Baltimore um, to anyone who's interested in it. Uh, sorry, you look like you're going to ask a question. <laughs> uh, uh, what time of year do you usually do it in? Yeah, so we just had it in April. Mm -hmm. um, April 14th was the 2018 one. Uh, we'll, probably the, we'll probably do it maybe a little bit later, maybe in May. 
next year just because this year was during Light City. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, we had trouble uh, securing press to be there at the event because a lot mm -hmm. of them were covering Light City. Yeah. So I think I would like to do it at a different time. So um, I would just encourage people to um, – to get information on uh, Make a Mark by following uh, us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Um, it's just uh, Let's Make a Mark um, or at Let's Make a Mark. Uh, and so, like, th they'll have information about all the different um, sites and things like that. Like, we'll have the Baltimore dates probably being announced. It, it won't be for a while, maybe mm -hmm. in like a few months, but um, there are other locations if anyone is interested in. Um, we've got Charlotte coming up soon and um, Asheville, North Carolina. So there's a lot of different locations that Make a Mark is going to be um, having an event. And so I just definitely would like to uh, promote that because <laughs> it'd be great to have more people. Um, just a good variety. I, I think I, we had a really lot of really great talent this year. Um, I would just love to see even more next year and, and have a bigger uh, pool of people that are interested. Do you know how you would, if if you got a bunch of student applicants, uh, how would you would you put them on teams with like a seasoned designer and like you know they become the junior designer? Like yeah. do you know how you, have you thought through like how you would do that? Yeah, yeah. Usually when we have students, we had a lot of students when we were in Roanoke Blacksburg, um, a lot of students from Virginia Tech. Mm -hmm. And uh, we like to put um, a student on a team with a, like someone a little bit more uh, seasoned in their industry, like you said, a designer or developer. Um, we definitely don't want you know, to put a student on a team with like two developers that have, have like collective collective of like 20 years experience and them asking yeah. them questions, you know, like, so we, we definitely like to balance out the teams. Mm -hmm. um, some teams are bigger than others. Web teams can be up to like six people. Uh, branding will be two to three. But yeah, we definitely like to pair students with um, uh, professionals that have have a little bit more experience. Okay, educators, so. check out, check it out, because it's a way to get internship experience without internships. Yeah, you'll have a finished product or uh, finished um, piece in your portfolio at the end of the day, and you'll be able to see it in action. The nonprofit uses it the day after the event, so it's really cool to see it out there. All right, that's all we have time for today on episode 60 of Design EDU Today. I want to thank my guest, Steph Lochran, for being so generous with her time. I want to thank the audience for listening, and I want to thank the Design EDU Today hosting sponsor DigitalOcean and CDN sponsor Fastly for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. Finally, I want to thank the AIGA and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you like this podcast, consider leaving a review for it in the iTunes store. To discover more about the Design EDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit the show website at designedu.today. To keep up with podcast news and show releases, you can visit the Facebook page and subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes or Google Play Store. Finally, if you would like to suggest topics for future episodes or give feedback, contact me through the show's email address, hello at designedu.today. Once again, thank you for listening to Design EDU today.